if you're going to get anything done, you have to do it the old-fashioned way. Use your human ingenuity. Isn't that the truth? You see, it all started with Sarah, Abraham's wife, turning away from God's promise and putting into motion her own plan to bring the promised child into the world. A simple solution that made everyone happy. Let's join Dave Wordson as we continue studying Sarah, the mother who beat menopause. I know that a lot of you that look around the auditorium were probably raised with the idea that if you want to get anything done, you need to get it done the old-fashioned way. In other words, you need to roll up your sleeves, you need to come up with a human plan, and you need to make it happen through human effort and self-discipline. Well, about 4,000 years ago, Sarah decided that God was really too slow. Anybody here ever feel that God is a little bit slow? He's just not coming through. Well, when God is a little bit slow and he's really not doing what he's supposed to do, then what do you do? Well, you seize the day. You need to look around and find out some human traditions and customs that might help you out. You need to take some initiative. You need to seize control and you need to go for it. And that's what Sarah did. And Secretary of State John Kerry just spent all last week trying to get the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac to get along. So here we are 4,000 years later, and you ask, well, what happened from what Sarah did? And one of the things that happened, some of the worst fights in all of life are fights that happen between family. And that's the story we're going to find out. We're going to learn as we continue studying the life of Sarah, I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis 15, the Lord promised that Abraham would have a child through Sarah, and he would have children like the stars in the sky. And the Lord did this incredible ceremony where he had Abraham cut the animals in half, and he said, only I will go through the animals. In other words, God put Abram to sleep, and he didn't walk through. And the Lord was proclaiming, you're not going to do this, Abram, by your strength. In fact, I'm the one that's going to fulfill the promise to give you a land, to give you the promised seed that's going to bring the great Savior into the world. That's where we are in the redemptive story. Now, I would expect when I got to Genesis chapter 16 that Abraham and Sarah made love, and she conceived, and nine months later, she gave birth to Isaac, the son of promise. But as in every good story, a good storyteller tells you the truth about things, but often they delay things. And in Genesis chapter 16, as we open up there, Sarah's really impatient. And so she decides that she's going to fulfill God's promise the old-fashioned way. You do what humanly needs to be done. So look what happened. It says, now Sarai, whose wife, Abraham's wife, it means princess, she had borne him no children. Remember, that's the problem, right? Remember, we started out this story, Abram and Sarah don't have any kids. So the tension in this story is God promises Abram and Sarah they're going to become the father and mother of children like the stars, and they're getting past the age of bearing children. Sarah is struggling with menopause, probably already through it, and she hasn't had a baby. So humanly, it isn't going to happen. So what did she do? But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Now, where do you think Abram and Sarah got that maidservant? 
That was when they took that trip to Egypt. When they got out of the will of God and the famine was in the land, they decided again to use a human plan. They went down to Egypt. So Sarah has an Egyptian maidservant that's taking care of her, that's her servant. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. So whose fault is it? God's fault. You ever get angry with God? You ever feel he's not coming through? Well, one of the things you want to do, you be sure to talk to him about that. He already knows what's going on in your life, so you should talk to him about it. So she's uptight with the Lord. The Lord's kept me from having children. You can almost feel the bitterness in her life. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, so he's now 85 years of age because he came to Canaan when he was 75, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her, with Hagar, and she conceived. And they lived happily ever after. She gave birth to a child, and God fulfilled his promise through Ishmael. Is that what happened? No. You have wives, concubines, and a baby boy. Sarah is a godly woman. Many of you are godly women in this room as well. But that doesn't mean that as we go through different periods in your life, that you're always doing the godly thing. In fact, one of the major issues that Sarah wrestled with is when it looked like God's promise wasn't going to come through. It looked like God wasn't going to give the baby. She wants to help God out. Any of you ever tried to help God out? Every one of you this morning are living either by the promise or you live by your human effort. Some of you have been trained from the time you were really small to depend upon human effort. Almost all the teaching that you hear in school and through the popular media is all about making it happen and having positive attitudes and carrying through and doing the seven things that effective people do. You've been raised from the time you were small to make things happen through human ingenuity. But what the story of the Bible is saying is that you can't make miracles happen by human ingenuity. And Sarah is teaching us that even though she was the wife of Abram, at this point in her life, she has moved away from the life of faith and dependence upon God's word and allowing God to work and allowing God to guide her. Instead, she seizes control. Remember, who does this sound like? Who's taking the lead, for example, in the family? Like, there's all kind of debate. Our culture right now, the major story you dominantly hear is that there's no difference between a husband and a wife in the home. It just depends upon what your giftedness is. You hear this constantly. And so in the home, the idea is there isn't any leadership the husband doesn't need to take leadership. He can allow the wife to lead. And that's a dominant idea in our culture. One of the things I'm trying to teach you in, in God's word is that you let the Bible tell you the story. Now, from the Bible's perspective, who's taking the lead in what I read to you so far? Everybody tell me. Okay. How's that going to work out? Now, and this is real important. It doesn't make any difference what I think about husband and wife leadership in the home. It doesn't make any difference if 100% of Americans decide that there's egalitarian, we can all be the same, there's any leadership. The husband and the wife can just jockey leadership back and forth. You can believe that. But I want you to understand that you're believing a story when you do that. 
And one thing I'm trying to do in this series, I want you to start to think about why you believe that story. One thing I'm trying to do is to move you not to just take your stories that you really are committed to and then put them over the Bible. I'm trying to get you to listen carefully to the way God tells the story in the Bible. So the question we ask ourselves is, this is the second major time in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3, who took the lead in the home? How did it work out? Okay, now we're with Sarah and Abram, and Sarah's taking the lead. And I want you to know something about this plan. How many of you ladies would ever come up a plan in our culture where you had a servant girl? For example, that raises all kinds of things. Some of you say, well, I'll take that. That would be nice. But how many of you as a wife would say to your husband, hey, I have this Egyptian servant girl. You make love to her. She'll conceive and the child will be born. What they would do is the child will be born literally on Sarah's. The baby would be given to her lap. And the idea was that this baby was transferred kind of like an adoption, and that would become her child. Most of you in our culture are horrified by that. But back in their culture, this was very acceptable. I can show you in the Hammurabi Code, they even talk about what the mistress can do with a slave girl that gives birth to a child like this. And the control she has over it. The Nutsi tablets are some old ancient tablets as well that have exactly the same kind of law. And you have legal discussion back and forth about this custom. So what I want you to know, you need to work on this with your kids. Back in Abram's day and Sarah's day, culture, everybody said in Canaan, this is a good plan. So one of the areas that I want you to be thinking about is how does culture determine your plan? How does culture decide what you think is right and wrong? And if all the culture says this is really a good plan, does that make it a good plan? And that's where you'll really decide and your kids will decide and your grandkids will decide what the real authority in their life is. Because I do want you to know that so far in this story, if I'm living in Canaan with Abram and Sarah, I could be another one of the sheiks like Abram that lives a couple miles down in another tent, and I hear about this plan, I'm going to say, man, that's a great idea. Abram and Sarah haven't been able to have any kids, and they're getting up in age. There's not a chance in the world that Sarah is going to be able to have a baby after menopause. She's got this marvelous Egyptian, strong, healthy servant girl. Man, raise up a child. Okay, and the baby's born and everybody applauds. That's what you do. I want you to understand something. You're going to go through periods in your life where you follow your human ingenuity. Some of you ladies, you really seize control. You make things happen. And everything works great. You think. Babies are born. Weddings take place. All kinds of stuff. But we're not living by faith in God's promise. So what's going to happen? Well, we got to let the story tell us. It's not what we think is going to happen. What's going to happen? Look what God says in his storytelling. It says, when she knew she was pregnant, look at the next verse. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. They're at the end of verse 4. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me, or she mocks me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So what's happened now? Cat fight. Anybody ever been in a cat fight, ladies? Okay, you have Hagar now has conceived a baby. So she's rising up. 
in the culture of her day, giving a son to your husband, that's the big thing. So Hagar is despising Sarah, who's still barren, and they're having it out back and forth. So who's faulted? Husband, you need to pay attention. When you just passively don't take control, you're not involved, Abraham could have said, Sarah, when you have this idea for me to have intercourse with Hagar, that's not such a good idea. So we're not going to do that. Because God promised that you would have a child, so we're going to have to hang in there. We would have had a totally different story. And that's what the text wants you to learn. Today, ladies, you're deciding one of the major issues that you wrestle with is control. Like, for example, in our marriage, Mary and I even had a fight over it in driving. When you're driving and the husband's driving, he's really in control of the car. But you struggle with that. So you tell him every single move that he's supposed to make. So what I do is I say, okay, I did this coming back from the hospital. And I stopped the car, and I said, okay, you drive, which is passive-aggressive. And Mary knows it cold. And that's the comment going on. What's going on? Husband, there's nothing wrong with delegating authority. Mary drove all the way back from Tuscaloosa. She does that a lot so that I could work on the computer. But the other night, you said, well, it's getting dark, it's rainy, I don't, I don't think I can see as well. You drive. And I was passive because I don't want the hassle. In fact, I'd rather not drive the way I am, and this is the honest truth, the way I am. If you want to control, you can have it. That's the way I work. In other words, if you want to buck my authority, I would like that playing football. If you don't want me to play quarterback, you want someone else to play, fine. I'll just go play in a team where I can play, and if you follow me, will probably do well. And that's not a good thing in me, so you need to pray in me. Like, Wurzen men are passive-aggressive. When you attack us and you try to seize control, rather than fighting you, we just let you have it. And that's not godly. And Abraham is a bad example, and it's something that all of you men in this room are going to wrestle with. And in our culture right now, you wrestle with it like crazy, because in business, you're, the woman might be the boss, or in the military, she might be the boss. In lots of areas of life, nothing unbiblical necessarily about a woman being a major leader in business and in politics and things like that. But when it comes to your home, in a husband and wife relationship, the Bible's setting up that in family life, there are leadership structures. And you need to follow the leadership structures. And that's very, very important. And our culture thinks that's a bunch of baloney. Well, that's why marriages keep falling apart. I mean, it's not working very good. It's amazing to me that we think God's word is so stupid, doesn't know what it's doing. But I've worked my whole life and 40 years in the pastorate dealing with marriages that are just blown as smithereens because men are very passive because they feel disrespected. And women are seizing control because they're scared and they don't think God will keep their promises. And all of us need to get together and, and really listen carefully to God's word. This is real stuff. Okay? So, husbands, I want you to remember something. Because you really are the leader, when your wife's plan goes to hell in a handbasket, guess whose fault it is? She's going to attack you. It's all your fault. In other words, you're the one that you know, went into my slave girl. 
And what did Abraham do? He's still passive. He says, you do whatever you want to do. So what does Sarah do? She throws Hagar and the baby out. Boy, that's really good. This is godly woman. So you think it's really bad. Like, I've dealt with a lot of bad family situations. But to be honest with you, one family situation I haven't dealt with in the past is I haven't dealt with a woman that had a servant girl that she gave to her husband so that she could have her baby. And when she had her baby, as she was doing this, she got really upset. So she threw the girl out. I never dealt with that one. That's a really, how many think that's pretty bad? And this is not, this isn't like sending around where you can go to McDonald's down the street. This is sending them out in the desert. So let's see what happens. So we went from wives, concubines, and baby boy. We got cat fights in the home. Now we have what's going to happen to Hagar if she gets thrown out. Abram says in verse 6, your servant girl is in your hands. Do whatever you want to think best. Husbands, doesn't that sound like you? Honey, just do whatever you want. Mary asked me repeatedly about things. Do you like this dress? Do you like this picture? And my normal response can easily be, oh, do whatever you want. That's not a good response. When Mary asks me about something to my wife, even if it's an area where she really has expertise, and even if I'm going to say, I'm going to defer and say, well, you're really good at that, you decide, I still have to engage because that's what leaders do. That's true in your business. It's true in every area of life. If you're the responsible leader, don't just be telling people, I'll do whatever you want to do. You got to give them oversight, and if you feel it is an area they can handle, you need to tell them that they have the authority to do that. Those are things that we're all trying to grow in, in our church life, in our family life, and in our business life. You can learn incredible things from this literature that's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. But I want you to realize if you're a husband and you're going to let go of the control and something bad's going to happen, you're responsible for it. So Abram's still playing the passive Adam role. You know, oh, do whatever you want to do. So what does she do? Do whatever you, want, whatever you think is best. So Sarah mistreated her. Hagar had mistreated Sarah, so Sarah mistreated her back. So Hagar gets mad, so she fled into the wilderness. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near the spring of the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, the servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Those are really good questions to ask. God always asks you. I want to ask you this morning. God is asking you, where have you come from and where are you going? I also want you to notice that when God addresses Hagar, by the way, this is one of the very first times that God just speaks directly to a woman. So all of you ladies can't feel, well, the Bible being very chauvinistic and patriarchal and all this stuff. In fact, in all the ancient world, nobody, no woman ever names God, names any God, anywhere. So you ladies, when we talk to you about your value, the Holy Scripture that's breathed out by God has an Egyptian slave girl, and the God of the universe cares about her. And he asked her, where have you come from, where you're going? And you talk about revolutionary stuff. Throughout the ancient world, Marduk in Babylon, Horus in Egypt, even the female goddesses like Isis, they do not interact with slave girls. So there's tremendous liberation in this passage. For, for it gives us great insight because what we learn about the character of God will never, never, never change. It's powerful. 
that the Lord asked Hagar, and he asked us this morning, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Was that the truth? Good. That was the truth. So whenever God is interacting with you, don't lie. In fact, when you're praying, in fact, it might help us in our prayer for one another. When you feel that the person that's praying with you is just giving a bunch of surface stuff that isn't really the truth, just say time out in the prayer and says, wait a minute, I really wonder whether what you're talking about now is really true. Are you really feeling that way? Boy, our prayers would really change if we did that. When God addresses you, and this is real important with your kids, it's parents, and God is the ultimate parent. Don't let them lie to you. You can tell where their heart is by whether or not they lie to you or not. Like your kids, when you catch them red-handed and they don't know where they are, they don't know where they're going, if they are honest about that, then you're on the way. If they deceive you, you got to keep working. You got to keep praying. Because the way that you know which side of the good and the bad is, is whether they tell the truth. It's going to be true in all the stories. Later on, Judah, in the story of Genesis and, Joseph, and Judah and Joseph, Judah's going to tell, kidnap his brother, he's going to deceive his dad about it. And then finally he says one truthful thing when he gets caught with his pants down in the affair with Tamar, and he says the truth. You are more righteous than me. And that's the turning point in the story. This is the turning point for Hagar. She tells the truth. So what does God do? The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Oh, man, Hagar says, that can't do that. I can spread the application out a little bit. How many of you have bosses that are impossible? Some of you are school teachers. How many of you have principals that they're just impossible? Some of you wives have a husband that's impossible. And what you do is for years and years, because he's such an idiot, you have to take control of everything. So you do. You control everything in the home because you just about have to because he's such an idiot. You're in a vicious cycle. The more you take control and the more you disrespect him, the more he withdraws. And the angrier he gets. But if he gives in to you, then he's passive aggressive and eventually he'll explode and that'll probably end your family. So you go round and round and round. Our culture is going to tell you one story after another that there's no such thing as legitimate authority. If I were telling you this story at the University of Texas in a secular school, what I would tell you now, if I wasn't a believer, I would say this shows you how bigoted the Bible is because it tells the slave girl, Hagar, that she needs to go back to abusive master and this woman that's hurting her. So what she really should do is she needs to be liberated. She needs to stay in the wilderness and she needs to live free and wild. Okay? Now, God is going to tell that story at the end of this story today. But not yet. So you need to listen really carefully to God's story. You got a, a pregnant woman. She's out in the wilderness. She's run away from her master. When you tell her you need to be free and easy and re live rebelliously and you did the right thing and rebelling against your mistress, that's all really good. Just throw all the family authority away in this culture. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. Oh, yeah. Hagar would have died in the wilderness. You can't live by yourself in the wilderness. So the great I am is being really gracious with her. And he's saying, I want you to go back. And one of the things I want you to learn it's really powerful, ladies. One of the ways to handle someone that's mistreating you is to roll the punch. 
In boxing, and I've taught you this in the past, in boxing, a good boxer learns not to back away from a punch because that, that gives greater leverage. Like if I move back six inches, then it has another six inches to increase the power of the punch. But if I get in close and I roll, I can glance the punch away. And boxers learn how to do that. And one of the ways that when someone's mistreating you and they're disrespectful to you, you know what? You don't have to be disrespectful back to them. You can unilaterally decide, I'm a daughter of the king. I'm Yahweh's kid. And he's not disrespecting me. So I don't have to just respond. Disrespect, disrespect. Anger, anger. Hatred, hatred. Breaking apart, running away, running away. You, know, you can break that cycle unilaterally. You can decide, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. It doesn't mean that you just let abuse continue. But it means that you learn how to not be disrespectful when you're dealing with a tough situation. In this case, the angel of the Lord says to his ministers, I will so increase your descendants that they will be as numerous, more than you can count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall call him Ishmael, which means God hears. And the Lord has heard your misery. That's where the name comes from. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. So she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. This is the only time in ancient literature, in the ancient Near East, that a woman names God. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er, which means the well. Be'er just means the well. Lahai in Hebrew means the living one. And Roy means the one who sees me. So the living one is the one who sees me. It's the name uh, of that place. And it's right there between Kedeshim and Beersheba. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So the tensions increased in the story. Now what's important about Ishmael? Well, when I have an Islamic guy come and lecture my class on world religion, Adele comes and he brings a tree on this big thing he rolls out. And here he has Father Abraham down here. You can picture it. Then he has Isaac. He draws a line. Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, all the way up through to Jesus and the Jews and Christians. Jews go one way and the Christians go the other. Those that reset. The Jews stay with the line. They hold that we haven't had the Messiah come. And Christians hold that Jesus was the Messiah. Then he comes over the other side of the diagram. He draws a line from Abram to Ishmael. Some of you are asking today, well, what's so important about this story? Well, there's one billion Islamic cultural people that they're Muslims, okay? There's two billion Christians. But there's one billion Muslims, okay? All need to understand what they hold. Adele will teach my students... There's Abraham. He's the father of Jews and the father of Christians. But on this side, he draws a line to Ishmael, and then he draws a straight line 2,000 years before Jesus, right on the other side, right through the first century to the early 600s. And guess who he writes? Muhammad. Now, you all know the sacrifice of Isaac, right? You've all heard that story. Well, the sacrifice of Isaac is the story that's in Genesis. It's really the high point. After all the tension and, and Sarah finally has a baby, then Isaac is born. And the Lord says when he gets to be a young teenager, then you can take his life. 
And that's the struggle that you have, okay? That's the great tension of the story. Well, in the Ishmaelites, they hold that it's a story of the sacrifice of Ishmael. So when I read the Quran, the Quran doesn't talk about the sacrifice of Isaac. It talked about the sacrifice of Ishmael because in the Quran, Ishmael is the chosen child. So that's one of the points of debate, okay? And that's still going on. And the way that you can work with people, you can say, well, it's hopeless. Like some of you feel like, man, Arabs can't be reached. Ishmaelites can't be reached. There's no way we'll ever solve it. So let's just take the American military. We'll just kill all a billion of them. I'm being extreme. But that's really where a lot of your conversations would go. And Abraham, right here in this passage, is teaching us, don't do that. Because God cares for the Ishmaelites. He saw Hagar when she was pregnant with Ishmael. Yes, the Lord said they'll be wild. Ishmael himself in the Old Testament is going to become a great archer in the story. But God sees them. And one of the things we as born-again believers, we have the only answer. We have the only answer, not John Kerry, not the United States State Department. We have the only answer that can really get sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac together. And his name is... Yeshua ben Dabi, Jesus, the son of David. And what he does is cause you to not hate Muslim people. You don't hate anyone because Jesus' blood was shed. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you? What are your feelings? How do you feel about Ishmael? To be honest with you, he's not the terrible enemy. The terrible enemy is the darkness in Dave Wurtzen's heart. My passivity. My failure to believe in God's promise. Because you all know the next part of this story. Remember, God appears with two angels to Sarah. Remember that story? And Abram is a great host. And he runs into the tent. He says, Sarah, quick. And he does really a wise thing. You need to read this story because it's a really wise thing that all husbands should do. If you're going to spring a sudden meal on your wife, don't do it unless you're ready to help with a menu. You learn that. So Abram goes busting around. He says, Sarah, get this. And he tells her specifically. Then he goes to his servants because they have lots of servants. He says, get a lamb. They sacrifice anything. And he tells the three people that, well, we just have a little bread and some wine. That's going to be it. Instead, he makes this sumptuous feast. And as Abram sits down with the three men, he thinks they're just three men. But it turns out two of them are angels and one of them is God. God says to Abram, the great I am, you did the name Yahweh. Yahweh says to Abram, your wife, Sarah, I'm going to come around about this time next year. And she's going to have a baby boy. And Sarah, because in this culture, it's kind of like when Mary went to Morocco, the women would all eat in one place and then the men would eat in another place. So those customs still go on. Those customs are really powerful around the world and very different from our customs. So Abram is taking this meal, and the man tells him that his wife's going to have a baby. Well, like all good wives, she's listening through the wall. And you don't even have big walls. You just have goat skin. I mean, you can really hear well. And she busts out laughing when she hears the promise of a child. And then Yahweh, you know this is really the omniscient one because he gets Sarah and says, you laugh. Remember that? Yeah, this is really important. This is the great godly woman. She's going to give birth to Isaac, and she lies to the I am. 
That is as real as it can be. When I'm under pressure, I've told you, that's what I do. Oh, I didn't do that. Yes, I did. And I want you to see in the text, God says, oh, yes, you did, love. But as we close here, I want you to learn something. God didn't say, when Sarah laughed at his promise, God didn't say, that's the end of the promise, because you're a liar. And that's what some of you think. Some of you are in, in your intimacy with the Lord, when you come up with human plans that go haywire, when you're disrespectful to your husband, and then you attack him, when you throw someone out because you've been so angry, and then they have to come back, and you're wrestling through all this stuff, you think, especially when you lie to God, that that's the end. But Sarah, Sarah does give birth to Isaac. And in the Sarah Isaac story, Ishmael, when he gets to be a teenager, he laughs at his baby brother. And God does have Hagar and Ishmael separate when he's older and he becomes a mighty, mighty hunter. You say, well, Dave, why did God ever allow that? Because I want to tell you something. One of the things our church family is really committed to, you can't mix law. You can't mix human ingenuity. You can't mix human plans and total dependence upon God's miracle. You got to totally depend upon God's miracle. You got to totally depend upon grace. As I close today, my confidence that I will see Isaac someday, and I will see Sarah someday, and I will see Abram someday, and I will see my Savior someday, is totally based in the fact that God made a promise. And it's not dependent upon my plans. You want new life in your family, in your church? If you want to be you to the Lord, you got to trust that out of the deadness of a barren womb that's well past menopause, that God can give laughter again. He can give joy again. He can give powerful new life. But he doesn't do it through our human technique. He does it when his people respond to his promise and believe. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to ask you that you would powerfully work. And as these stories are so true to our human nature, even though Sarah and Abram lived 2,000 years and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac in a totally different culture, speaking a totally different language, we thank you that as we listen to you tell us this story about their lives, that it's just like us. I pray that you would stop some wives today that make their husbands impotent because they seize control. And rather than giving respect, they try to control all the details like Sarah did. Help us to realize that if we just do our natural thing, that's what we're going to do. But we can learn from this story. We can become new people. I pray that you would help husbands to learn from the passivity and Abram's lack of taking real responsibility. I pray that you would help us to learn from the terrible thing that happened to his family, his two boys being separated from each other and catfights and arguments and disrespect and teasing, the whole family structure totally disintegrated. Help us to learn from this, but also be encouraged. If you could bring the Messiah from this kind of a family mess, 
then you can still work in our life. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that you would help what we just learned from your holy word just to be the beginning of some really powerful transformations as we see the Holy Spirit produce the miracle of new life, the miracle of getting wisdom from this story. Help us to just be blown away this morning by your powerful, omnipotent ability to take even cat fights in the home, even deception, even passive husbands and controlling wives. You told the truth about all these stories, but you also told a story where an old man that was 100 years old and a 90-year-old woman that could never have kids, they bounced little baby laughter on their lap. Lord, I want to pray that you would bring laughter into some homes that haven't experienced it in a long time by the miracle of your promise. In Jesus' name we pray.